Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be sympathy and empathy. Let's begin today in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in the 18th verse, it says, What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. The second half of verse 22 said, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. What does this actually mean? This idea is proven to be a major point of contention for the critics of Christianity. They assert that if Paul is taking on characteristics that aren't his own in order to appeal to people, then he's a hypocrite, he's a liar, he's misleading and deceiving people. He's making himself like a chameleon, just taking on whatever form is expedient in the moment. They think this counteracts everything else he taught, counteracts the fundamental and essential Christian teachings, but they're missing the point of what's actually being said here. It wasn't that Paul was becoming someone who he wasn't for the sake of others. He was reaching out to them. That's a major difference. He was trying to present the truth of the gospel to them in a way that was palatable to them, in a way that they could understand and digest, just like he did in Acts the 17th chapter when he spoke to the Greeks, quoting their own philosophers instead of talking to them as if they were Jews who had understanding of the Levitical law. It's reaching out, and that's an honorable mission, but the critic and the enemy want you to think otherwise. So why would Paul do this? What is it about this particular means of acting and being that works to lead others to salvation, and how can we do it ourselves? What Paul was showing forth to these different groups of people, beyond love, which is the foundation of it all, was compassion, which has two main elements that define it, which are sympathy and empathy, which are two things that the church has really lost sight of in recent times. By leaving behind sympathy and empathy, we've left two very powerful tools untouched and unutilized, and the effect is a lot of lives being lived without God when it could have been the other way around. But in order for us to become all things to all men, we have to look more closely at these two words and see how we can apply them in our daily life. Although you won't find these two words in Scripture, at least not in the King James Version, you will find plenty of references to the same concept that they represent, just in different wording. The Bible is very clear that we need both of these, and it's also clear that having them is not only in our best interest, but also, and more importantly, in the best interest of others. Sympathy is the acknowledging of someone else's pain, or it could be any other emotion, even happiness, but it's most commonly associated today with the experience of pain. When we sympathize with someone, we demonstrate to them in some way that we understand what they're experiencing and going through, which is good. We need to do this. 1 Peter 3 and 8 in the Classic Amplified Bible says, Finally, all of you should be of one and the same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household, compassionate and courteous, tender-hearted and humble. The first half of the Living Bible's translation of this verse says, And now a word to all of you. You should be like one big happy family, full of sympathy toward each other. This makes it beyond clear. We're not just recommended to be sympathetic. 
We're told to be full of sympathy, which means that sympathy should define us. But we also need more than just sympathy itself. We need to let our sympathy go on to produce fruit of its own, which manifests as empathy. Empathy not only communicates to the other person that we understand what they're going through, it's also how we communicate that we're willing to go through that pain or joy with them. Empathy takes sympathy to the next level. Sympathy, taken on its own merit, is good, it's necessary, it's better than doing nothing or showing no understanding or compassion, but it's really not enough on its own. We need empathy too. Romans 12 and 15 says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. The classic Amplified says for this verse, Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy, and weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. Sharing, that's what empathy calls for which is an inherently selfless act, the reaching out of the self to put another's interests above our own. The Living Bible says for the same verse, when others are happy, be happy with them. If they're sad, share their sorrow. The key word here is with, which we'll find to be a recurring pattern for all the verses that talk about empathy, because empathy is something that's done with someone, not for them or in place of them. It's done with, which is what makes it so powerful. Galatians 6 and 2 in the Classic Amplified tells us, Bear, endure, carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults, and in this way, fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ, the Messiah, and complete what is lacking in your obedience to it. The Living Bible says for that verse, Share each other's troubles and problems, and so obey our Lord's command. Here we find share again. You'll find a lot of people willing to share in happiness, and of course they would. Who doesn't want to be happy? You'll find less people willing to share in sadness, but there will be some who will do it. But you'll find very few people who are willing to share a burden, especially a burden that doesn't belong to them in any way. To the natural mind, that's an unheard of type of thinking. It doesn't even want to take care of its own burdens, let alone go out of its way to take on someone else's. And that's why this becomes such a great stumbling block to so many Christians. They like the idea of empathy, and they definitely like being the recipients of it but they're not so keen on the idea of giving it. In the world, you'll find empathy almost completely absent, except in very rare instances. But you will find sympathy occasionally. Sympathy is far more common in both the world and the church. And the reason for that is that sympathy isn't as costly as empathy, which automatically makes it people's first choice. It's not reaching as far, not giving as much. It's not sacrificing anything. While on the other hand, empathy can be time-consuming and thought-consuming and energy-consuming. It means going out of our way, doing something that seems to have no benefit to ourselves in the moment. Whereas sympathy isn't that difficult. There's not such a high price tag on it. All we have to do is show pity and show understanding. Burdens are where most Christians draw the line. That's as far as they'll go, and no more. They're not looking for any more burdens than they already have. Of course we can understand this type of thinking and even sympathize with them, but we can't condone this type of thinking because this goes against everything that the Word of God tells us. This wasn't worded as something that's optional or suggestive. It's a command. It's a directive. It's an order, not something that can be discarded at will. Bear one another's burdens. There's no way around that. Romans 15 and 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We have an obligation to help those who are weaker in the faith. That's a burden that we have to take upon ourselves. But that doesn't mean that the weaker person gets off scot-free while we do all the heavy lifting. They have an obligation too. Their obligation is to exercise their faith, to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. 
to build up their most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost. Their obligation is to get stronger, and that's true of every one of us, no matter how strong in the faith we may be, because there's always more strength to gain. The critic or the skeptic may look at something like this and scoff and say that they thought that Jesus came to take away our burdens, so why would we have to carry more? And that's true. Jesus did come to take our burden away, but maybe he took our burdens away so that we could help others carry theirs. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even God asked for us to share in his burden, but because his burden is light, we don't usually view it in that way. God's calling us to do the same with others that we do with him, carry their burden with them. But why specifically would God call for this? Why would carrying someone's burden with them even make a difference? The strength and power of the church is derived from its unity. A house that's divided against itself can't stand. If the church continually divides and fights amongst itself, we're going to exhibit no power or strength of any kind and just continually exude weakness and capitulation to the world and the culture around us. The reason why unity is so important is that we can accomplish more together than we can apart from each other. We can learn a lot from the example Jesus used of a yoke of oxen. The purpose of the yoke is to make carrying a load easier and to distribute the weight between the two animals. When we take another's burdens upon ourselves, we're yoking ourselves to them, working together with them to carry their load. It's a well-established fact that two draft horses can pull three times the weight of one alone, and many trainers say that if they're trained together from the beginning, they can pull up to four times as much as one alone. We work the same way. If we work together, we can do far more than we can alone. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in the 18th verse, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. This has to do with the word with that we were looking at earlier. Empathy is something that we do with people, but we can't do something with someone if we're alone. Verse 18 told us, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Everything else that the Lord made during the creation, he said was good. This was the first thing that he said wasn't good. That shows the importance that unity and being together holds. It's not good when we're left alone to carry our burdens, and it's even worse when we know this fact and then still leave those around us to carry theirs with no offer or effort to help them at all. The second half of verse 22 said, But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. This is the effect of our refusal to show empathy. There's people all around us who need a helper, need someone to take their yoke upon them and help pull the load need someone to uplift them, encourage them, listen to them, but can't find anyone. We're supposed to be the one. We're supposed to stand in the gap for them. We're supposed to show compassion by reaching out in love. And if we don't do it, we can be assured that no one in the world will do it. So that means that if we don't do what we know we're called to do, no one will do it. 
we've all experienced in our lives that hard times are made a little or even a lot easier when we have someone to go through it with, someone to lean and rely on, someone to just be there and listen. Those times wouldn't have happened if God didn't raise up someone to sympathize and empathize with us. So why shouldn't we do the same? We should. It's our job, and we can't neglect our duty to those around us. This reveals something even more nuanced happening beneath the surface here. When we ignore the call to empathize with others, especially our fellow believers, we're directly going against the Word of God. 1 Peter 2 and 17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We're to love the brotherhood of faith, have compassion on them, have patience on them, show them agape, unconditional, self-sacrificial love by reaching out and picking up their burden with them. Galatians 6 and 10 tells us, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. When the opportunity presents itself, when we see others struggling under their burdens, faltering under the weight of their troubles, we can't be the ones to turn a blind eye. We need to seize that moment and do what no one else will do and be compassionate and empathetic. We know the importance of doing things together and the difference that that makes. We know that with God, one is a majority. That's true. And if we have no one else, we always have the Lord, which is more than enough. But we can't forget about the undeniable fact that there is power in numbers. If that's true in natural things, it's even more so in spiritual things. Leviticus 26 and 8 says, And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to fight, and your enemies shall fall by the sword. Joshua 23 and 10 tells us, One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he had promised you. The more we have putting the enemy to fight, the more darkness we can drive out, the further we can extend our reach. Like the horses, every time you add another one, the amount of output just increases all the more. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 gives us some important insight into this. It says in verses 9 to 12, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that's alone when he falleth, for he have not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Here we find strength and unity again. We're there to help one another. This life is hard. This fallen nature that we all have is hard to overcome. This cold world is hard to come against. And because of this, there are times, no matter how hard we try not to, when we will fall, when we will miss the mark, when our expectations for the natural will fail us. And it's during those moments when we feel like we're going to fall by the wayside, not able to go any further, not able to continue on the road and continue running the race, that we need someone to pick us up and help us keep going. That's the purpose of empathy. There's people out there who feel defeated, disheartened, sad, fearful, anxious, depressed. And while some of it may be self-inflicted or a result of lesser understanding of spiritual realities, we can't place the blame squarely on them and refuse to help or encourage or lift them up. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we've all had times, and maybe long, hard seasons, where these feelings were the way that we felt too. We know these qualities firsthand. And that knowledge should motivate us to not turn a blind eye and pass by our brethren who are experiencing those same things. This is why we need to become all things to all men. What if someone's experiencing a point of weakness in their faith? What if they're in a phase where they're being legalistic? What if they're at a point where they're doubting their belief? What do we do in those times? We should sympathize with them, 
letting them know that we've had similar thoughts and feelings also. But we can't just do that and then leave it there. We need to work those things out with them. We need to struggle with them, bear the burden with them, and carry the load with them. That's where you really see what a person's made of. When it comes time to sacrifice your time, your freedom, your life, to take on the issues and problems of someone else, you'll find out very quickly how seriously you take God's commands. The main reason why people resist this, similar to what we saw the last two weeks, is that they don't want to lose anything. They don't want to lose their strength, their faith, their knowledge, or anything else. Not that they would, but they feel like if they have to take on the burden to the weak or the doubters or the ignorant that they might lose it, and that feeling stops many people. But when they indulge in this thought and let that stop them from doing what God's calling them to do, they're failing to see how it works in the spiritual realm. We know that we're to be in the world but not of it. That means that we can be here, surrounded by a hostile, contrary, inhospitable environment, and still survive and thrive in the midst of it, not being affected by it. And it's no different when dealing with becoming all things to all men. We can take on another's weakness without becoming weak ourselves. We can help someone in their doubts without becoming doubters ourselves. And we can feel sadness or grief with someone without becoming sad ourselves. We can carry the burden while not being crushed by it, just like the burning bush could be in the fire but not consumed by it. The burdens don't have to consume us, and they won't if we reach out in faith to help our brethren. It's a lie of the enemy that tells us that we will. That's his attempt to immobilize us and paralyze us through fear into inaction. This is part of standing in the gap. When we're carrying the burden of someone's weakness, our strength fills in the gaps where theirs fails. And that's true of their doubt and our faith and their ignorance and our knowledge and any other type of burden also. The last thing that we need to look at is the importance of working together with others with the same end goal in mind. The draft horses could be yoked together, but if they're not intent on going in the same direction, with the same work to do, with the same intention behind it all, it would make it even worse than if they had been all alone. Because they'll keep trying to pull the other in a different direction. There will be fighting and quarreling amongst them, and division. It's the same with us. This is why we're told in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion have light with darkness? That's a recipe for division and disaster. But if we make it our mission to be led by the Holy Spirit, operating from the mind of Christ within us, like-minded with our fellow believers, having the other's interests at heart, and desiring to encourage, motivate, and uplift them, we'll be on the same track. If someone isn't willing to do what needs to be done, if they refuse to listen to you, if they insist on carrying the burden all on their own, that's a choice that you have to let them make. Sometimes you have to go through the wilderness before you can get to the promised land. And sometimes you have to learn lessons the hard way. But whether they think that or not, we still have to take that opportunity to reach out and sympathize and empathize with them. And we still need to be willing to be all things to all men. Because we can be the difference in someone's healing, their deliverance, or even in their salvation. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you are the perfect example of sympathy and empathy and that we can look to you to know what we're called to do. Lord, today we thank you that you've taken away the burden forever that we laid before you on the altar as an offering, that today we're free. And Lord, help us to use that freedom in a way that will honor and glorify your name. Give us the wisdom and the understanding necessary to use our freedom from our burdens to help others carry their burdens. 
Lord, give us the compassion and the patience to be willing to struggle with others, to bear their weaknesses upon ourselves, to help them in their doubts, to help them in their ignorance, and to help them as the Holy Spirit within us continues to lead us and guide us into all truth. Lord, just like with Adam, we know that it's not good for us to be alone. And we thank you that we can be a helpmeet to those around us, that we can be there to encourage them and lift them up and motivate them to do what needs to be done. Lord, we thank you that we can be the ones who stand in the gap on their behalf and that our strength can make up for their weakness. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy now and forever and that we'll enjoy for all of eternity. And we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to be empathetic and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. Now if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.